Media. How you doing, everybody? The Chet Comic Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Course, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your host, Chet Comic and Lester Munson. That don't make him any better than uh, Lester Munson, legal expert ESPN. And yours truly, Chet Kopik. Well, at least they don't make him any better than Lester Munson. Welcome once again to uh, Sports Court as we uh, break down the uh, issues that uh, permeate the smoke-filled rooms. Hey, Lester, right off the top, uh, I thought by 2007 he'd be in an orange jumpsuit. Somehow he has uh, virtually escaped uh, uh, any and all authority, virtually uh, uh, without taint. What is going on right now with a gentleman by the name of Barry Bonds? Barry Bonds uh, had a very lucky decision last week from the United States Court of Appeals in San Francisco. The government is trying to prove that he's guilty of perjury. I think everybody agrees that he is guilty of perjury. The question is, can they prove it in court? And without Greg Anderson, his personal trainer, the guy who took the blood samples and the urine samples Mm -hmm. from Bonds, brought them to the laboratory, got the results, without Anderson testifying... It's very difficult for the government to prove the case. And so the judge in San Francisco, she says, without Anderson, you cannot use the drug tests. The government took an appeal on that. Now they've lost. It looks like the government is now going to get ready and try the case against him maybe this fall, October or November. They could also ask for yet another appeal. We don't know yet. We're going to find out this week. But Barry Bonds has been very lucky here, and whatever he's doing for Greg Anderson Mm -hmm. to keep him happy, to keep him not testifying, he's going to have to keep doing it, because as soon as Anderson turns on him, he's finished. Give me a ballpark, uh, Lester. What do you suppose uh, Barry Bonds has paid in legal fees over the past five, six years? Uh, Since the grand jury testimony... That goes back to 2007. He, he's got to have spent a million to a million five uh, on a group of lawyers. They are formidable lawyers. There's two of them who are among the best criminal defense lawyers in the entire Bay Area. He's getting his money's worth, but he has spent a lot of money. Uh, that being said, can we look at Barry Bonds and say uh, this once again is an example of how the legal system doesn't work with efficiency because if this had all transpired... On a very rapid basis. There's no doubt in my mind that Bonds uh, is a loser. Uh, with the passage of time, an appeal here, a motion there, uh, a deposition there, whatever the case may be, somehow in, in, a, in a roundabout way, Bonds is, Bonds is skirting the legal system. There's no question about it. There, everybody knows that he lied to the grand jury. Everybody knows what he did in order to hit those 73 home runs. He clearly lied about it. He probably belongs in jail for three or four months as a result of that. Whether that will ever happen, I'm not so sure. And the system simply is not working here. And because it's gone on for so long, the judges in California view it not as a big scandalous investigation. They view it as a kind of a nuisance. And so they won't give the government the leeway the government needs to prove this case. Um, At what point in time? Does Bud Selig release the name of Barry Bonds on the list of uh, 100? Boy, that, that And are you uh, surprised it hasn't happened yet? I am surprised. You think somebody would have leaked that by now? There, there's got to be some tests in there somewhere. They, they, they still have one positive test they can use if and when the trial begins. But 
there's no question. There's got to be powerful evidence of what Bonds was doing. So far, he's been dodging it, uh, thanks to some good lawyering, thanks to some very bad decisions by judges in California. Uh, Seeley could uh, make a very conclusive move here. I don't think it's the kind of thing he's going to do, though. Hey, uh, let me change gears for a moment. Right here in Chicago, the uh, Bogoyevich trial... Uh uh, hasn't really even uh, reached the uh, the batter's box yet, but obviously intrigues me. Uh, tell us about the lead dog, the the very passionate principal defensive attorney for for Rob Lagojevich. And by the way, his act seems more suited for 26th and Cal than it does for uh, uh, the Daily Plaza. Uh, Blagojevich has as his lead lawyer a guy named Sam Adam Jr. As you suggest, Chet, he's a man of histrionics, of theatrics. Uh, he is all sizzle and very little substance. It's the kind of thing that can work occasionally at 26th in California where you have crimes of violence, where every now and then some juror may fall for that kind of act. I'm not sure it's going to work in the federal court where Blagojevich is accused of 27 counts of serious uh, white-collar kinds of crimes. And the judge is already impatient both with the lawyer and with Blagojevich. And this judge, Jim Zagel, been around forever, was a great prosecutor. He is easily the smartest guy in the courtroom. And with this kind of melodrama and this kind of behavior, Blagojevich is going to work himself into a hole so that when he's convicted, he's going to face some very serious jail time. So I think you're telling me right now that, uh, in your opinion, the, the, the histrionics of Blago's uh, lead defense attorney are such that over the long haul, rather than being uh, effective with the jury, it's going to turn the jury off. The jury's going to wind up hating the attorney more than they hate Blagojevich. It's going to turn the jury off. It's not going to work up against these clean-cut prosecutors who are relentless, thorough, well-prepared, just the facts, ma'am. They know how to put in evidence. They're just going to keep coming. Uh, they have this incredible momentum that they will build up in the course of the case. And all Blagojevich is going to have is histrionics. The jury will get tired of them. The judge is already tired of them. That will probably result in a conviction and a serious jail sentence. All right, Lester, it doesn't happen very often, but you told me before we got uh, rocking and rolling that uh, the NFL may have somehow stubbed its toe. That's very, very unusual for a league and prides itself on being uh, undefeated and practically unscored upon. The National Football League, as you suggest, uh, Chet, is brilliantly managed. They make amazingly good strategic and tactical decisions. In preparation for the lockout in March of 2011, they have made deals with DirecTV, with NBC, with CBS, with Fox, so that the networks will pay the National Football League owners even though there are no games being played. Mm -hmm. Let's assume they start the lockout in March, which they will, no games in September. Even without the games, the networks are supposed to be paying the National Football League. The Players Union now, in a fiendishly clever legal proceeding, they are attacking those contracts as contracts made to the detriment of the players and in violation of the current collective bargaining agreement. In, in the agreement that governs right now, hasn't expired yet, the league is supposed to maximize revenues so that the players get their share. Instead of maximizing revenues, the league gave away revenue to DirecTV, to CBS, to the other networks, to the detriment of the players. The players have now come up with this idea of attacking them on that. 
I think this could be the end of those television contracts, and the lockout scenario is now radically changed. So if you were on the bench, if you were uh, a judge, and I'm the NFLPA, and I'm going after uh, uh, Roger Goodell in the National Football League, and I bring forth uh, a suit charging that uh, the NFL acted in um, uh, concert to uh, create an environment in which uh, they would force upon the players a strike in an effort to uh, garner television revenue and not split television revenue. Give me your immediate gut feeling. My immediate gut feeling is that the ju- I, as the judge, I'm going to put an end to that. There's no doubt about it. The 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 agreement. Could the NFLPA sue and wind up with damages? I don't think they can get damages, but I think they can. They the outcome would be that the league would have to take all that money, set it to one side in an escrow account. It would be kept there so that when the games do begin, when finally a deal is made, then the money would be shared with the players Mm -hmm. in the typical fashion that it is under the revenue-sharing agreement. So, right now, how would there not be football in 2011, given where the NFL is right now? Having lost in front of the Supreme Court, now, with this problem with television contracts, there will be football in 2011. It's a lot more likely that there will be football in 2011. If the Players Union can win the case we're talking about, then it's very likely there will be football in 2011. But keep in mind, these owners have been planning this for two years. They hired the guy who engineered the NHL lockout. They have lockout clauses in all the coaches' contracts. They have been getting ready for this. They have been planning on it. There are a group of owners who want to destroy this union. They thought it would, the union would be soft under the new leader, DeMoris Smith. What they did last week indicates to me this is not a soft union. They are tough as nails. They come up with a very clever thing here that is going to be a setback for the owners. So I would say that if you asked me three weeks ago, is there going to be a lockout? Absolutely certain. Now it's a lot less certain than it was then. Lester, uh, how much will the benefit, uh, or how much benefit will be provided the Chicago Blackhawks during the offseason, uh, given the fact that they have a volume of players they've got to, uh, re-sign? Uh, some players will leave. I mean, that's the nature of sports that you have generally a, a 25% change in, uh, personnel on a year-by-year basis. But, Given the fact that the NHL has a soft cap, a very soft cap, for example, I don't think most people realize that while Cristobal Huey is on the book for $6 million in 2010-2011, if he clears waivers and you send him down to the minor leagues, you can keep him down there the entire year, pay him his full salary. It doesn't kind of dime against the cap, which opens up dough for potentially a guy like Bufflin or a guy like Patrick Sharp. There's no doubt about it, Chet. And there is a salary cap in the NHL. It is soft. There are loopholes. There are opportunities for people who want to maneuver, who have the money to spend on payroll, as the Blackhawks now do. No question about it. And I would think that they're going to lose two or three players. John Madden is going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Maybe Patrick Sharp. But they will be able to keep more of this core than you might have expected if you had looked at it a year ago. And this cap has been in place now close to four years, and the management of teams, they are now so familiar with it, they're better able to maneuver within it, just as you suggest. So in I other think words, uh, they're, they're now far, uh, uh, far more equipped to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we say maneuver within the I cap. Mean, whenever I, whenever yes. I think of a soft cap, I think of the, uh, the NBA having a cap of about $43 million, and somehow the Knicks having a payroll of $108 million. Right. 
That was a very strange thing. And back in those days, it was Gary Bettman working for the NBA who allowed people to exceed the cap. Now he's the commissioner of the NHL. He's got a fantastic franchise here in Chicago. If there's, if he has discretion to allow them to do something, he's going to allow them to do it, I would guess. My friend, I have a brand new pecking order for uh, sports franchises in Chicago. Let me give it to you. Bears, still number one for the obvious reason, uh, the aura of the Monsters of the Midway and gambling gambling <laughs> number factor. two the cubs still a sex appeal ticket everybody wants their day uh, in the sun at the confines number three the chicago blackhawks very very close to being two-way instant sellout phenomenal television ratings through the roof merchandising number four the chicago bulls if they don't sign a free agent they've got serious trouble number five right now the chicago white Sox can't get arrested number six the chicago fire don't have enough impact to even qualify for the list I would go along with that list. I might put the Hawks in a tie with the Cubs. It hurts me as a Cub fan to say this, but I, but what has happened with the you're Blackhawks... You're a Cub fan. You're beyond hurt. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened with the Blackhawks is such a phenomenon. Everybody has such a good feeling about it. The fandom is not split between the Sox and the Cubs. And there, there is not only have they now won the Stanley Cup, there is so much potential for another one or two cups over the next couple of years that uh, they're going to be right there. And they will sell out the United Center for every single game. There's no question. Well, there'll be an instant sellout, Lester, for at least the next five years. Oh, I and, would agree. And next year, for example, if, um, oh, let's say they go to the playoffs as a two or three seed, wind up with uh, 100, 105 points. If they were to get knocked out in a seven-game series in the second round, people would be upset, but they would not be angry. There wouldn't be this factor of hostility a la the Cubs in 2003 when they kissed it off and tanked against the Marlins because now they've won a Stanley Cup. That gives you, as you know, as a guy who understands sports, they now have a five-year free ride. Easily, just as the White Sox have had since they won the World Series in 2005. Only now are people getting impatient with them. And this... This group of players has such charm. Together with the marketing genius of John McDonough, they will know how to maintain this mm-hmm. and nurture this and grow it better than most people, most organizations. Right now, if you were uh, if you were Jerry Reinsdorf and had to make a call today, given the fact that your ball club is basically dysfunctional, uh, it's clear that uh, Williams and Guillen can't stand to be in the same uh, state with each other, let alone the same room with each other. You can only fire one. Who goes? Well, I, I've always kind of liked Ozzie again. I think I would keep him, and I would get rid of Williams. I think it's easier to find a general manager than it is to find a field manager. Uh, again, the, he's got the pitchers coming around. He's got Cooper there. I, I would say Williams would have to go. Uh, I buy that, and I'll tell you why. Ozzie Gian is the face of the Chicago White Sox. Ozzie Gian is colorful. He's flamboyant. He's energized. People respond to Ozzie Gian. Kenny Williams is so introverted at this point. I swear he's vying for the coveted, you know, Helen Keller Award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that Ozzy would be the guy we have to keep. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kovic. This has been Sports Court, brought to you by the marvelous people at American Taxi. Don't forget you people in the suburbs. They answer all of your taxi needs. American Taxi, you'll never beat their comfort. You'll never beat their reliability. And you will never beat their price. John Coyne's American Taxi. Build on tradition and build on excellence. I'm Kopic. So long, everybody.